she's an American board certified OBGYN. She's the CEO of Jobs.Mom, where women, we're moms, we're Muslims, and we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Sada Flody. And I'm Zabine Mirza. This episode is about the second trimester of your pregnancy. So before we get into it, the first thing that we want to make very clear is that we are not giving any type of religious or medical advice. So if you're having any concerns about your health, please speak with your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because we just happen to be two Muslim women who talk about sex. And today we're talking about the second trimester. So should we get started? Yeah, let's. So, you know, we in our last episode, we talked about the first trimester. We talked about what to expect. We talked about, you know, the newly pregnant. We talked about blood work and tests and what's normal and what's not normal and prenatal vitamins. And we talked about all that. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely listen to that episode. Lots of great information. This episode, we're talking about the second trimester. And in the second trimester, this is often called the honeymoon period because by now, a lot of the morning sickness, right, should have subsided. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not a lot going on. And there is a lot going on. And especially when we're talking about the testing side of things. So I know there's a number of tests that are conducted in the first trimester. There are also a number of tests that are conducted in the second trimester. So do you want to go a little bit into that so the, so the women listening know, you know, it, it's easy for us to show up to these tests, but I don't know we necessarily fully understand what we're testing for. Sure. So, um, it has been uh, also in the first trimester. We also do uh, two tests that um, we need to also mention here, which is one is called the non-invasive prenatal testing, which is NIPT, and that typically can be done after 11 weeks. And what that tests for are genetic abnormalities, um, trisomy. 13 and 18, and also Down syndrome. Um, and in that test, actually, you can uh, find out if, it, if you're having a boy or a girl, if you want. You know, some patients want to know, others do not. Um, but with that test, it's actually a blood test that is done um, from the mom, mom's blood. And um, so from that test is where we can actually find out uh, the sex, the gender of the fetus as well. Um, another test that's really important that's done in the first trimester is called the nuchal translucency, which is an ultrasound. And it's um, what it does is it takes a look at the back of the neck of the fetus and we measure that height. And also it gives us an indication of whether or not the fetus is at risk for Down syndrome. Um, and so those tests are typically done in the first trimester. In the second trimester, one of the most important things and one of the most fun things um, that patients look forward to is the anatomy uh, ultrasound. And that's typically done at 20 weeks. And that's where we're able to check the heart, the lungs, the full anatomy of the fetus. And of course, in here, um, if for some reason, you know, patients decided not to get the genetic testing done or the NIPT testing done in the beginning of their pregnancy. Um, here on this ultrasound, they can figure out the gender of the fetus as well. 
And, um, and, you know, we take a look to see how well the baby's growing. And also we take a look at the placenta, the amount of fluid, and we make sure that everything looks uh, the way it's supposed to look in terms of anatomy for the fetus. And it is a very important test. Also in the second trimester, we will uh, continue to see patients every four weeks uh, up until really up until like 28 weeks where we start to start seeing the patients every two weeks. And then that is, you know, of course, as you know, is actually the third trimester. Um, something else that's done in the second trimester, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, was the glucose testing that happens. Um, that typically that can happen anywhere between 24 and 28 weeks. And that's why I kind of mentioned about Rogam. Rogam, we, we always give at 28 weeks, but, um, you know, we do the glucose testing between 24 and 28 weeks. And what we'll do is we'll give a 50 gram glucola load, a 50 gram, like it's that, that sugary drink. And then we have um, the moms draw the, you know, have their blood work taken. And we take a look at the value. And if that value is elevated, you know, there's um, a normal uh, level that we have usually around like a hundred and uh, like 130 if it's a one hour yeah we usually use 130 and if it's higher than that then we'll have you do a three-hour glucose test and uh, to check for diabetes in pregnancy pregnancy itself um, can make a woman uh, that is typically not diabetic it can cause her to have diabetes in pregnancy and that's why we test for that and the most important thing about it is that if a woman develops a diabetes in pregnancy she is at before we used to say when i was in residency a 40 percent chance of developing diabetes labor, later on in pregnancy however now they're saying that it's a a 50% chance. So if somebody develops diabetes in pregnancy, they have a 50% chance of developing diabetes later on in life. So uh, what some doctors have now called pregnancy is that it actually is kind of like a window into the future of that mom, which I think is a great way to look at it. Because if that woman develops, let's say she develops high blood pressure in pregnancy, yeah. then she's at an increased risk of developing high blood pressure later on in life. If she develops diabetes in pregnancy, she's at risk for developing diabetes later on in life. So this should be an opportunity for physicians and for the moms um, that end up developing these diseases in pregnancy to kind of look at their lifestyle choices and what's going on to help modify any risk factors that they may have so that hopefully they don't develop those diseases later on in life. So that's really important. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm having, you know, PTSD flashbacks when you're talking about the, the sugar drink test, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's disgusting. It's, it's it's awful. It's really bad. Yeah. And some somebody thought that it would go down easier if you made it orange flavored or some other horrendous <laughs> flavored and it does not go easier. It does not, it just does not go down easy. It doesn't matter what flavor you put it in. Right. Um, and I struggled. Um, I remember I took the short test and then I had to take the longer test and I didn't have GD. Um, but it was just a very unpleasant, um, experience. But what about the women? What do you say to women who are concerned about the sugar drink itself? I know in recent years, there's been a lot of talk about, is it safe? And, you know, um, what, what do you tell these women? Yeah, well, you know, what we typically tell them is that it's very important 
to do this test because that's the only way we can tell whether or not they're diabetic. Now, definitely there are women that refuse to do it and won't do it. And so then if that's the case, um, then we'll have them test their sugars four times a day, which I think is even worse, right? To see whether or not, I mean, if there's, if we think that there may be, you know, at risk, like say they did that first uh, one hour and it was elevated and, but they refused to do the three hour, then we will have them check their sugars for at least a week or so to see whether or not they're diabetic. And then uh, if those sugars are fine, then, you know, we'll just, we won't do, you know, we won't have them do anything else. However, um, what they're doing is they're checking for their values. So after a one hour um, eating, what you want to do is you want to check your blood glucose. And if it's higher than 130, then, um, you know, we have to take a look at see what they're eating and modify their diet. Um, now, if we consistently see that those values, let's say, are like in the 200s, then we definitely... Uh, will advise them that it sounds like perhaps, and especially if they're fasting, let's say is 150, you know, fasting first thing in the morning, they take their blood sugar and let's say it's like super high, then we automatically um, will assume that they're probably diabetic and we'll have them start testing their blood sugars. And if they need to, then um, some doctors will use oral medications. Uh, but when I was in residency, we always use insulin to help manage diabetes in pregnancy. And that can be done with, you know, your own OBGYN, or it can be done in conjunction with a high-risk doctor. And once a high-risk doctor gets involved, then, you know, typically they'll start to monitor the patient's blood sugars pretty closely, as will a regular OBGYN, and um, will also do ultrasounds every four weeks to monitor the growth. And some of the important things to know about diabetes in pregnancy is that glucose crosses the placenta and so can result in very large babies. Yeah. Right. So if, and that's why we do the growth check uh, with these ultrasounds, because we don't want that baby getting too big. And just like for a mom that is diabetic, who then has to pee all the time, uh, the baby does the same. And so the baby can accumulate a lot of fluid inside of that uterus and um, so which we call polyhydramnio. So these are things that we monitor and we look for. Um, also, if a woman is pre-diabetic, then, you know, again, we'll check the growth. And sometimes those babies um, can be smaller because the, um, the placenta may not be getting as much perfusion, right, as much blood flow. And um, because the blood vessels may be affected in somebody that's been diabetic for a long time. Yeah. So also, I was going to say that, you know, at these visits, we always check for um, blood pressure as well. And Sabine, um, like I had mentioned before, if uh, the blood pressure starts to go up after 20 weeks, then we consider that pregnancy induced hypertension, high blood pressure. And again, you know, we always check for protein in the urine with each visit. And we worry about uh, preeclampsia. And as you know, you know, preeclampsia is defined as high blood pressure after 20 weeks, as well as protein in the urine. So that's why we check for both things. And, um, you know, different things will happen. Like if, for example, if we diagnose, if somebody has a history of preeclampsia uh, with their first baby, then we'll automatically put them on a baby aspirin starting at like 16 weeks throughout their pregnancy up until, um, up until 36 weeks. And um, 
you know, also, like I said, if we, we also take into account their previous pregnancy history, and if they have a history of preterm deliveries, right, or if they have a history of incompetent cervix, then we may suggest a cerclage, which is a stitch um, at the cervix that kind of keeps that pregnancy in. And that typically we place a cerclage if they have a history of what's called an incompetent cervix. So basically, um, they're not able to hold on to the pregnancy and they have what's called painless dilatation. And um, that's what a cerclage is used for. And so if it's a history indicated cerclage, usually that's done in the second trimester before, um, usually by 21 weeks, before 21 weeks, we'll do that. We'll put that cerclage in or we'll measure the cervix. And if the cervix is uh, measuring pretty small, then sometimes uh, less than 1.5 centimeters, then a doctor may decide to put a cerclage in as well. Okay. And again, these are all things that your medical provider is going to, to let you know um, for you and your individual case. Um, so if any last words before we wrap up here about the second trimester, um, how women should be taking care of themselves, what they should be looking out for? Um, no, I mean, you know, at uh, that ultrasound visit that they have, you know, like I said, they'll go over where the placenta is located. And if the placenta is covering that cervix, I think we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but it may be that um, the patient has what's called the placenta previa. And sometimes those placentas will move up. And so that, you know, that placenta previa will have resolved. But if it doesn't, if it stays there, then um, the patient is definitely at risk for bleeding during the pregnancy. And uh, the patient, you know, if it never moves up, then the patient will require a C-section at the time of delivery at around 37 weeks. Yeah. So I think the lesson here is stay aware of your own body. Definitely speak to your provider about anything that you feel is unusual or uncomfortable. Um, and definitely, especially if you have a history, right, in, in previous pregnancies as well of things like diabetes or previa or, or have had complications and high risks, certainly seek out providers that are also high-risk specialists. Um, and as always, stay on top of uh, your care. So um, we're closing up here now. It has been, as always, informative uh, and intimate. Um, and for all of you, Sadaf wants to remind you that it is not medical advice. What should they do if they need medical advice, Sadaf? Where do they go? Correct. Zavine. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns that you might have, especially when it comes to pregnancy. Yeah. It's so important to speak to your own provider. Yep. Speak to your provider. Keep having sex if it's allowed, right? That's what Sadaf said, the doctor mm -hmm. says. And yes, lots of sex. Lots of sex. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Mm -hmm.